Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's good to be worshiping together here under the canopies and on Zoom. Kids ages three to six, give or take. We have Atrium on the quilt, so um, younger kids are welcome to go over there and find something to work on while I'm speaking. Uh, but also, I have a question for the kids. I wonder if you have ever seen a movie or read a book that has a character that has to choose between good and evil, who maybe has some kind of battle going on within themselves to try and decide what they're going to choose. It might even be that like the fate of everything hangs on what they choose. And so I just invite you to think about a story where you've seen that play out. Think about a character like that. And while I'm talking, you might want to draw a picture or paint a picture of that character. And then please come and show me and Liz and really any of us grown-ups afterwards so that we can learn from what you're thinking. But that idea of being at war within ourselves, this idea of a battle between evil and good inside of us, that's at the heart of today's passage from James 4 that Caitlin read just a couple minutes ago. And in real life, that kind of war within us isn't as clear or as obvious as what we see in movies and in fairy tales and in some of our favorite books. And that's why those stories are actually really helpful to us, because they take what's kind of subtle and hidden and invisible inside of us, and they make it plain for us to see. And James is trying to help us see as well. So in chapter 4, just like all through James, he is using this really strong and vivid language, even maybe a little bit harsh language. And here, James sounds a lot like his brother. He sounds like when Jesus is using harsh and vivid language, when Jesus says things that sound like judgment, things that make us feel uncomfortable, things like the gospel passage I just read from Mark. And when we hear James or Jesus or the Old Testament prophets speaking to us this way from Scripture, it's appropriate that we feel a little uncomfortable, that we get kind of uneasy and squirm in our seats a little bit. But James is not going to leave us there. He's not going to let us just shift uncomfortably in our chairs. He's ultimately going to hold out a word of grace. So let's read what he says. Reading from verse 1, he says, Those conflicts and disputes within you or among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? And those conflicts and disputes that James is talking about are what he's been writing about all through his chapter. Fights in the church, fights in the world, envy and selfish ambition, all the kinds of evil things that happen when people use their words to slander and lie and to abuse others, all the kinds of evil things that happen when the rich exploit and abuse the poor, all these conflicts, all this violence, and we don't have to look far to see that is the world that we are living into. But James is saying that all those conflicts out there, all of the world's violence and warfare and raging, it all actually begins in here. So reading from verse 2, he says, 
You want something and you do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. James is getting right to the heart of what makes each one of us do what we do. He's getting to our longings. He calls them cravings. James is drilling down to our desires, to our wants. And at the core of our being, who we are is what we desire, what we want. The first question of discipleship is, what do you want? Jesus asks that in his Gospels again and again, using different words sometimes, but over and over he confronts people and asks them, what do you want? What are you hungry for? What are you thirsting for? What are you longing for? What do you want? That's what James is getting at here when he talks about these cravings, these desires at war within us. Because we were created in the image of God to want what God wants. We were made to desire what God desires, to love what God loves. We were made to crave a world where God is all in all. A world that is ordered by goodness and truth and beauty and justice and mercy. A world that the scriptures call the kingdom of God. And even the law in this kingdom is a matter of wanting. It's a matter of desiring. Because as Jesus tells us and as James keeps repeating, and as how we say every Sunday, the law of this kingdom is a law of what we love. The core of the law is loving God and loving our neighbor. The law is about what we want, what we desire. And all of our actions flow from there. But we rarely go through a second or a nanosecond of any moment of any day where with our whole being, what we want and love most is God himself and the good of our neighbor. It just doesn't happen. And so that good love that we were made for, the good desires that we were made to have, they're distorted. And that distortion is what the Bible calls sin. And it enters both through our own sins and the sins that have been done against us, things that harm us, things that have done damage and created that distortion. And this sin distorts our wants. It distorts our loves. It puts us at war within ourselves, where our cravings are fighting one another. And so rather than loving God, loving our neighbor, longing for his kingdom, we begin to love other things, lesser things. We love our selfish ambitions. We love money. We love power. We love control or fame or praise. And James says that all these distorted loves then drive us to lash out, to try to manipulate the world and the people around us to give us what we want, to give us those distorted things that we want. And he compares this to committing adultery against God and being God's enemy. He's saying we are cheating on God because we are loving things that are less than him things that will not be as good for us as he is. 
And then we are out there doing violence in the world, trying to get them for ourselves. But there's good news here, because James also says we actually can't out-desire God. We can't out-want or out-love God. In verse 5, he says that God yearns jealously for the spirit that he placed within us. See, God desires us. God yearns jealously for the spirit he placed within us. God is longing to be one with us again. God is longing to be reunited with us when we have wandered too far from home. God desires us. God loves us. And that yearning and that desire of God toward us, that is what makes us able to love and desire God ourselves. That is what moved God to come in the person of Jesus, to dwell in human flesh, to live that law of the kingdom, to teach that law of the kingdom, and then ultimately to put all those distorted loves to death on the cross. God's desire for us is overcoming us. It is making us people who are able to desire him and his kingdom again. And then verse 6 says that God gives all the more grace. However distorted the things we love, God is always giving more grace. So how do we receive that grace? How do we step into that? Let me read the full verse 6. James says, but he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, God gives grace to the humble. Humility is what puts us in the pathway of God's grace. Humility is what lets us receive what God has for us. And James in this chapter gives us a lot of ways of practicing humility. So the first one of these is asking. It's asking God in prayer. So James says, you do not have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. Asking God is this act of humility. It's this simple way of coming to God, not as people in control, but as people who are asking, who are receiving. It is this humble way of saying, We are needy. You are the giver and we are the receiver. So humility begins with just asking God for what we want. And I think it's important because sometimes this verse gets a little twisted up in our minds. It's important to notice what James is not saying here. Because he's not saying, don't ask God anything until your motives are pure and you're asking for the right thing. He's not saying, Get your act together before you draw near to God. James actually makes clear that God can sort all of that stuff out for us when we ask. He assumes we are going to be asking and that that is the place where if there are motives and if there are wrong longings, distorted desires, God can sift all that out. And so when you notice yourself wanting something, whether it seems like a good something or a bad something or a really important something or just a silly, frivolous something, ask God for it. Just ask. Just come 
with humility. Notice what you are longing for. Notice your cravings and ask for them. And then God can sort out. He can say yes or no. He can show you what is beneath those wantings and those longings. God will sift through it. But the first way that we come to God with humility is just by asking. And then in the last few verses of this passage, James gives us all these other ways to practice humility. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And what James is calling us to here is sadness. We all have distorted longings for all kinds of reasons. And the call that James puts on each one of us is to notice what's there, to ask things, and then to feel sad where we see distortions in ourselves. To feel sad when we encounter the things that we are craving that are not good. Not to feel ashamed, not to feel self-loathing, not to suddenly feel motivated to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and fix it, but just to notice and to feel sad. And then God always meets us in that sadness. Where we have distortions, where we are grieving our own warfare inside, God always meets us there. God always gives more grace. God is always yearning for us more than we can yearn for him or for any other thing. God is there to strengthen our love for what is good and to loosen our grip, our love for what is not. And that's just the ongoing rhythm of the life of discipleship, the life of a Christian. It's this upside down way of living where the way up is down where the path to exaltation is humility, where the path to joy runs through lament and grief. So just over and over and over, day by day, we humbly bring ourselves to God. We humbly bring our internal warfare to him, and we ask him to set us at peace. And over and over, as we lament and as he gives more grace, God brings all of our distorted wants into alignment with his good wants. By his grace, he is transforming us into people who love God and who love our neighbors. So James presents the brokenness in this world as sort of these concentric circles, as these ripples that go out in the water, but at their center is the brokenness in us. Why are there conflicts in the world? Why is there fighting? Why is there brawling? Why is there so much hatred and violence? Because there is a conflict in each one of us. There is a warfare in us that God is longing to set at peace with his grace. 
Well, earlier I asked you to think about a movie or a story where there's a character who has this kind of internal struggle between good and evil. And this week, as I was listening, my son and I have been listening to The Two Towers, which is part of the Lord of the Rings series. We've been listening on Audible in the car to and from school. That is a very slow way to get through a very long book. So we're in like year two of listening to this. But I was really struck this week with the creature Gollum and the way he exemplifies the themes that we see here in James 4. Because Gollum is really a double-minded creature. Gollum is internally torn between his craving for evil power and his craving for mercy. So much that Gollum actually refers to himself as we and us. He has sort of two tones of voice, two ways of speaking, two demeanors. One is pitiful and longing to be treated mercifully. And the other one is cruel and domineering, strategizing and sneaky, always trying to get control, always trying to scoot closer to evil and to power. But Gollum meets Frodo and Sam, two hobbits, these creatures who represent all that is good and peaceful and quiet and beautiful in the world. And Gollum himself was actually once a hobbit. But years of loving this evil power have distorted Gollum so that he is just so at war. And so when they meet, Frodo and Sam are on this quest to save the world against this growing darkness. And even though Gollum is their enemy, they show him this incredible mercy. They show him this incredible gentleness. And they take Gollum on as their guide. They tie him with a rope that was made by elves, which in this universe are these good, lovely, angelic creatures. And when this rope touches Gollum's skin, he shrieks, he cries out in pain. He says, it freezes, it burns, it stings us. But this rope is actually tethering Gollum to his only hope in the world. It's tethering him to the only creatures that want to show him mercy and that are treating him with gentleness. And it's taking him on the path to the renewal of the world to the restoration of everything that is good and true and beautiful. They're taking him on the path toward life and goodness. And the grace of God is like that rope for all of us. It tethers us to God's kingdom. It takes us on the path to want what is good, to love what is, what is good. But sometimes when it touches us, even gently, it hurts. Sometimes receiving God's grace makes us lament and mourn and weep. Sometimes purifying our hearts hurts a little bit. But if we will humble ourselves, if we will allow ourselves to be gently tied by this rope, God in his grace will lead us toward his kingdom, will lead us on this path of love. So let's pray. God, we confess that we are people with cravings at war within us. We ask that you would come and set us at peace. Father, as we enter this time of silence, 
I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be quietly ministering your grace to us, quietly tethering us to you, to the good things that you have for us. Amen.